0: This week's episode is kindly supported by Vegan Women's Summit. Vegan Women's Summit is a global media and events organization dedicated to inspiring, educating, and empowering rising women leaders to bring compassion to their careers and industry. Join Vegan Women's Summit on Saturday, December 5th for Pathfinder, the world's first female founder summit, and pitch competition dedicated exclusively to plant-based innovation featuring the world's leading voices in the future of food. Join them for a full day of virtual CEO panels, founder chats, and breakout sessions to learn everything you need to know about how to build your business, accelerate your growth, and become a founder in the plant-based industry. Plus, they'll be giving away $50,000 in their live pitch competition to the world's next big female founder in plant-based innovation. Go to VWSpathfinder.com to submit your pitch by October thirtieth and grab your tickets to the summit now.
1: Every company has a choice. There's some companies that are just chasing insane growth. That's their choice. But I, I don't believe that you have, you know the companies have to do a deal with the devil. You don't have to grow at a thousand X and be the next Uber, for instance, right? Or the next Airbnb. You can have gradual thoughtful growth there's plenty of money out there you can take what you need and and if it's not enough well then you grow at the rate that you do but you do it ethically
0: hi plant friends and welcome to another episode of the pbn podcast i'm your host robbie lochie this week we meet charles michael yim he's a serial entrepreneur from silicon valley he's best known for being on abc's emmy award-winning show shark tank where he convinced five celebrity sharks to invest one million dollars together into breathometer a device that claimed to measure someone's blood alcohol content using their Apple or Android smartphone. As the founder and CEO of Breathometer, Charles was responsible for the overall direction and product strategy. This work then led to starting an online platform called Chatterfly. Following this, Charles went on to become the founder of ProBuddy, where he teamed up with a senior engineer at Facebook to develop a local search provider recommendation engine. Charles is an absolute legend and a huge inspiration in the business world. You really love this episode. It was amazing and I learned so much. If you enjoy this episode, please don't forget to comment, like, and share. And if you're on iTunes, please do leave us a review. It really helps get the message out there. Let's get to the episode. Hey Charles, thanks so much for joining us on PBN. It's a great pleasure to sit with you and have a chat.
1: Yes, I've been looking forward to this and um, very honoured and obliged to, to be on. The world's first smartphone breathalyzer. It's so small, it can fit in your pocket. Let me show you how it works. simply retract the audio jack. Plug it into the smartphone, activate the app, within a matter of seconds, you'll be able to know what your breath alcohol level is. And better yet, it can even tell you how long it'll take to sober up. And if need be, you can even inhale a cab with a push of a button. So please
0: join me on this mission to help people make smarter and safer decisions one breath at a time. Thank you. Before we get started and learn about all the amazing things that you've been doing with your life in recent years, let's go back and hear your vegan or plant-based story. How did you discover the lifestyle?
1: Yeah, so in short, I've basically been a meat eater all my life. Um, I'm Asian American and uh, my mom kind of cooked uh, Asian cuisine kind of growing up as well as American and French and so forth and so on. But um I recently turned uh, a new, to be a newfound father. My my little boy, uh, Junior, is roughly about seventeen months old now. Uh, I just turned thirty seven. Um, in addition to that, and so your body doesn't work like it used to in your twenties, right? Your metabolism slows down, and you uh, it takes a little bit longer to recover, um, and you have to try a little harder to to stay in shape. So I think both kind of life events combined basically encouraged me to kind of look at my health. Uh, from a different perspective. And so, actually watched, uh, coincidentally, uh, the documentary on Netflix called Game Changers. Yeah, I recommend everyone to, to watch it if they can, but it, it's a documentary on a plant-based diet, but it's backed by science, um, produced by both Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jackie Chan, not some big corporation or what have you that tries to lean it towards a certain bias.
0: one and only Arnold Schwarzenegger.
1: I ate a lot of meat. They showed us commercials. Steak. That's what a man eats. Yeah. Selling that idea that real men eat meat—serious man food. But you got to understand that's marketing. That's not based on reality. So anyhow, I was compelled, and by, by you know looking into a plant-based diet. Um, technically, I'm currently uh, flexitarian, moving to a full vegan uh, diet gradually. Anyway, I looked into you know the market, and you know I'm an entrepreneur from Silicon Valley, and you know um, you know my kind of my DNA is to to look into different spaces and learn about them and just completely be immersive. And that's what I did. And I realized that, you know, current offerings in the market, there's, there's quite frankly, not very you know good options out there. And, um, uh, you know, you have these, a lot of these companies, CPG companies or even local restaurants that, you know, do leverage the plant-based ploy or positioning, but they're truly not healthy for you. I mean, they'll fry the food or they'll have carcinogenic ingredients in them and, and so on have just really bad ingredients. And and so I was looking for something pure because when I thought about myself, when I thought about my son, I thought about, well, I only want the best of the best. I want pure ingredients um, and, and superfoods on top of that, right. That can help revitalize and, and, and really, you know, take care of your body. Right. And so, you know, as an entrepreneur does, and, and as a VC as well, I just thought, well, there's a lot of white space. It doesn't exist. Well, why don't, why don't I just build it? So I kind of, dove into it head on and, and started optimizing my diet, and you know, listening to all these podcasts, and reading all these books and, and documentaries. And it led me to the point that it, I got to a point where I just wanted to build it. And so I reached out to my network and built the team and created the company. And here we are.
0: It's a super exciting time and, and I'm sure this is probably one of the reasons why you've jumped at this. It's We've seen a huge explosion in this in this sector. Um, I have a little facts list that I keep to hand all the time and some of the exciting things uh, in the headlines are 23% of all food products launched in the UK in 2019 were actually vegan or plant-based. Meat-free sales to exceed 1.1 billion by 2024. Um, and the plant-based milk sector is going to exceed 24 billion by 2024 so the the lists of articles and exciting headlines go on and on and on so anyone who's listening who is just considering and thinking about getting involved in the plant-based world in the food space or the tech space vegan vegan, with a vegan vibe you know now's the time (laughs) because that tidal wave of change is absolutely on its way do you agree
1: yeah, no, I agree. And in, in fact, when you mentioned that, I think you couldn't be more right, right? So I think in terms of organic and plant-based, look, it's, it's been around for a long time. Um, we, you know, we have some advisors that uh, have pioneered the space here in the United States specifically, you know, dating back to the 70s. But I think it's all about timing that I've learned in my experience as an entrepreneur um, and now as a VC. And so you know, I, I think we've always had the necessary ingredients. We've always had the knowledge. But it's taken society. I think it's taken our communities in different countries and cultures to really understand and, and kind of catch the train. And I think in the United States, you know, we're dealing with things like obesity, right? We're dealing with diabetes. Uh, we're dealing with heart disease, hypertension. I myself am predisposed to gout in my family. And So having said that, now that we have all these technologies like gut, you know, gut health diagnostics, right? And we have, we're, we're understanding that processed food is not healthy for you, I mean, especially eating meat and then frequently in large amounts, right? And, and being excessive with, with the culture in terms of just always indulging, so I think being aware of all these things, um, we're we're now catching on, and now that we have all these platforms and and, and and we have distribution channels that are different, like on-demand platforms, and you know not having to have a full-on restaurant like a FMB or hospitality setup, you know you can think of it as well. We are Vitable is basically an on-delivery platform, on-demand delivery platform that you can press a button and depending on whatever patient condition or health condition that you have, whether it's diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, even cancer, you push a button and, you know, we can deliver it straight to your home or at the hospital with, with quite a bit of ease. So so I think it's very timely, is my point. Now is the time to really kind of leverage the, the resources and, and essentially the platforms that exist out there. And it's taken a, quite a bit of time for a culmination to have technology converge with the food and, and also for the market to be ready for it.
0: Regarding kind of markets and kind of zooming out a bit and looking at the kind of system that we all live in, this sort of capitalist system, which many say is actually broken and that it is, you know, it's kind of malfunctioning in that sense because it doesn't serve all people. But when it comes to sort of business, do you think that the business the business model that exists today can be shifted to create uh, a force for good? Because, you know, the capitalist model has traditionally been seen as quite parasitic. It can kind of, just dis- kind of self, you know, in many ways, end in self annihilation for, for the human species. But you know, the business system and the capitalist system, you know, do you think if we can turn things around and and make our businesses that and continue to grow and develop businesses that can change the world?
1: So certainly, yes. That's 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 uh, you know my feel good answer, right? Um, I'm I'm an optimist and as well as an idealist by heart, um, but I think. It, it takes a movement. I think it takes a, a paradigm shift, and, and, and for cultures to adapt and acquire and adopt different systems. And you're right. You know, I think globally speaking, um, you know, we operate overall on a capitalist, a capitalistic kind of model. And and you take a look at, you know, from a much larger perspective, you know, these big pharma and the healthcare, especially in the United States, it's built in such a way to monetize, you know, inefficiencies and and health issues, and so it, I almost feel it, it encourages whether it be Americans and in this case to be unhealthy, right? To take eat saturated processed foods, right? Unhealthy foods, and what happens? You develop heart disease or diabetes, and then what happens? You go to your doctor, and you have your insurance company, and next thing you know, you are taking all sorts of pills, right? And so it, it feeds itself, and so we can step back society, society wise, right, and culturally, and and, and as, a, as as kind of a, a global union. And realize that we're damaging ourselves, we're hurting ourselves, and kind of take the power back. That's what we need to do, and it starts with preventative measures. I'm sure you know this, you know, better than anybody. But it's not when you already have the disease; it's it's before you have it or, or before you start developing it, right? And so, you know, I'm a big biohacker fan, and uh, you know, I know what my telomeres are. I know what my baseline conditions are, right? Whether it be my testosterone and, and or if it's my hormones, or where my triglycerides are, right? So you know, it's just being really tuned in to where your body is and taking care of it on a daily, you know, basis. But if we can do that on a macro level, and then as a you know, as a society, we will take the power back, and we can go ahead and innovate our way collectively, so that we can we can change things, we can make a paradigm shift, and not allow the government system and all these big corporations that just sell us garbage, but you know, based. Take the preventive measures to take care of our health. So that's that's kind of my thesis around it.
0: In in business, though, like when we're creating these businesses, and you will t- will go definitely go into you know some of the successes that you've had and created some pretty large companies. But in the business world, you know, it feels like there's always winners and losers um, with when it comes to competition. Do you think that it's necessary to sort of step on our competitors to get to the top of our game?
1: No, not at all. I, I come to the table with a thought process is you know if we're going to beat this system, this archaic system that's hurting us collectively or society wise, you know, you got to do it together. So I think in terms of competition, I don't view them as necessary competition and, and a direct competition and, and trying to fight for market share. I think the more plant-based organizations, institutions, uh, CPG companies that exist that are providing quality uh, food and products or services to the market, the better. So I'm, I'm of the notion that we should join forces as opposed to compete directly with one another. And to me, it's not about necessarily just market share. It's more about how can we beat you know the system that's that's tearing us apart, right? That's literally killing our, our, our you know our, our grandparents or our parents, right? Or ourselves. Now that I'm a father, you know, I'm thinking about my next generation, and I want to make sure that you know he has the best quality food and the health as possible, right? And, and as they say, health is a new wealth. Right. It doesn't matter how much money you have. If you don't have good quality health, it doesn't matter. It's all for naught. So health is super key.
0: The reason I ask is because I think one of the founders of Beyond Meat were asked on Twitter, you know, how do you feel competitive against impossible foods? And Beyond gave a really beautiful answer. They said, you know, two companies, the same mission you know, we don't we don't see each other's competitors. There's enough market share in, in our space to really succeed. But more recently, Light life uh, they're a brand, I think, is it Car- Cargill have produced Lightlife. Um, they put a huge a single page um, ad in, the, I think it was the New York Times, uh, taking a pop at Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods, accusing them of, you know, using all kinds of unpronounceable ingredients. W- what do you think about companies that do that, They're kind of Use advertising and media to essentially sort of attack other people in their space.
1: I come from tech, and so I'm all, I'm all about the data, and I think the data, if you look at it, it doesn't lie. So, so having said that, you know, I, I typically try to approach things objectively and based on on the information that's publicly, you know, been shared. You know, there I've seen carcinogens in in, in a particular, you know, company's uh, ingredient list, right, and it's backed by by doctors and real scientists and. And so I'm all for eco-friendly, I'm all for plant-based and, and, and nutrition and, and health kind of centric. But when you look at the ingredients and when it's validated that there are carcinogens in your product and you're taking an eco-friendly spin on it.
0: Like what kind of, uh, are you talking about the heme in Impossible? Or? Y-
1: yeah, so the, there is data and science and evidence to show that there are carcinogens. I'm not the scientist, but if you look at the, the case studies and reports, um, they have been validated. And so I'll be honest, I don't touch that product anymore. I was a big fan until I became, they say, woke. And if you look at it like, okay, they're eco-friendly, um, you know, they're, you know, quote-unquote, plant-based, but look at the sodium level. Um, mm-hmm. Imagine, I ask you this, would you actually feed that to your kid or would you
0: eat that this is the question about health that, you know, people say, what is healthy? You know, if you take a beef burger and you compare it to the Impossible Burger, I would absolutely prefer to feed my child an Impossible Burger over a beef burger because of what I know is in those, those beef products, a lot of really dangerous substances that are potentially, you know, life-threatening to some, to a young human body who's, who's growing, you know, with there's diseases and viruses and bacterium and all kinds of nasty things in there. Most people aren't consuming impossible burgers on a daily basis. They would eat them occasionally, I would hope. Um, and with regards to sort of the levels of health, when it comes to salt, fat, sugar, you know, these kind of junky foods really are something that people should com- consume at an absolute minimum. Uh, it's very different in the US, I know, because the, the sort of US dietary lifestyle, we can talk about the the SAD diet, the standard American diet. It's very heavy in processed food, isn't it? Like the whole industry, the food industry in America is so geared towards conditioning people from a very young age to consume as many packaged foods as possible, because they're obviously the most profitable, aren't they? But I think when it comes to what is healthier, we do want to encourage people along the scale. Now, when it comes to the best type of health, you know, plant based news, and and all the people that we work with, we definitely try to encourage people to consume a whole food plant based diet. So if you're gonna eat something that's got carrots in it, you know, ideally a whole carrot that's chopped up in front of your eyes so that you know that nothing else has gone in there. You know, hopefully it's organic and it's it's not being grown with some strange substances sprayed all over it. But ultimately, it's about trying to improve that scale that people move along. Now, I guess the question was more is from a business perspective, like, should we be criticizing our competitors publicly is that good for business or should we kind of focus on our as business owners and business people should we really focus on our space and and be the best in our space or should we really be taking an opportunity to sort of attack or call out as it were competitive brands is that does that not create a dangerous space where we kind of get into a bit of a tit for tat and back and forth and and create a lot of enemies
1: (laughs) Yeah, so no, that's a great question. I, I, so I'll unpack that, right? I think it's two points, right? So I think, one, uh, we have to keep the conversation on, honest, right? 100% transparency because, look, I've learned through experience the community is not dumb. People are not dumb. They, they will pick up on it regardless, right? And so I don't care if it's internal or ex- it's external or public. It needs to be honest. And, and it's not about, say, bashing each other and, and fighting for market share. For me, it's being honest about what's really going on and about whether it's a product or service or brand, what have you, the community will pick up onto it. And so for me, as a, just a general rule and philosophy and internal kind of moral compass, just be honest about it. And so it's, it's beyond and above and beyond whether you know companies should you know speak about one another. It's about having honest, real, authentic, genuine conversations. Having said that, back to what you were saying earlier, your words were, I hope one option is healthier than the other. But if you really dissect that, look, it, you know, healthier than than the other. I go back to if you're eating that product, every meal, right? It's in and it's unhealthy for you, even though it's a healthier option than meat. And I get it, you know, meat has all these contaminants and toxic uh, ingredients in them, right? And, and it's so bad for you. But however, you're trading one thing for another, which is one's bad, and one's not as bad, but they're both bad, right? Where I think we, we were on my position and my thesis around all this is, you should just start with something that's really good. And if you can't eat it, every single meal every day and put it in your, in your own kid's mouth and let alone your own, then there's something wrong here. Right. And I'm, I, you know, granted, you know, some, some products are supplemental. It doesn't matter to me. I'm, I'm a purist at heart. And so if you look at, you know, you know, Vitable, for instance, every bowl you eat, you literally can eat it forever, every single meal, and you'll, you'll be healthier for it. And so that's kind of the way I look at it. And it's again, going back to honest conversations, you know, what does the data say? What's actually backed by the scientists, not some marketing play, um, not some marketing spin that's eco-friendly it's about doing the right thing, providing the market with quality products. And right now the entire market is saturated with terrible, unhealthy products. And like you just said earlier, one healthier product versus the other, but they're both not healthy at the end mm-hmm. of the day.
0: With uh, with a point around like beef, for example, there are many um, growth factors in beef. They could, you know, are called, often also known as IGF one. And if you do have cancerous cells in your body, if you consume large quantities of red meat, you can dramatically increase your chances of many forms of cancer. If you consume uh, several servings of processed meat a day, you dramatic not dramatically, but I think it's like sixteen percent increase your chances of uh, colorectal cancer, like bacon and sausages. But there are no health warnings on meat. There are no warnings to suggest that there are carcinogens or carcinogenic substances in meat. You've obviously pointed out that there are potentially some carcinogens in vegan and plant-based products. Do you think that businesses across the board, whether they're vegan or plant-based, have a duty to say that some of the substances in these foods may be carcinogenic, the same way smoking and cigarettes have warnings on them, and then allow the consumer to decide whether they wish to take the risk of consuming this product or not?
1: 100%. Um, I come from the medical device space. I work with FDA and FTC, and I've, I've seen the processes, but the whole idea is to protect the consumer. Tobacco and nicotine is very bad for you. It's one of the biggest, kill, you know, you know, I would say, killers out there. You can develop lung cancer from it, but you can develop all sorts of other cancers and things like diabetes, hypertension, heart disease from eating processed foods. They should be labeled. Warning, this could lead to XYZ. And I feel that the government, right, needs to catch up and needs to implement it and administer and uh, essentially label these products so they give a fair warning to the consumer. Again, it's a mission. It's, it's a collective effort um, to, to shift the paradigm. But, you know, you, you know this, you know, past almost half, you know, five to 10 years, this past decade, you're starting to see caloric intake, uh, you know, assigned to different various menu items, right, to create more awareness for the, to the average consumer. So I feel like directionally we're getting there. But you have the big corporate giants that, you know, say McDonald's, that don't want to share that information because it doesn't help their cause. Nevertheless, you know, just kind of keeping straight to the point is, yes, we should provide more consumer awareness. And that starts with, you know, labels, right, and education and and creating a learning curve so people can uh, acquire that knowledge and make better decisions when they're purchasing.
0: Just before the break, we showed you a clip of our next guest on ABC's hit show Shark Tank. Here's how it ended.
1: Here's the deal. $1 One million dollars, five hundred thousand from Mark Cuban for fifteen percent, and five hundred thousand from the rest of the Sharks. We're going to split it, right? For a total of thirty percent for one million dollars, and the power of Shark Tank. What are you going to do?
0: I accept. All right. <gasps> <laughs> so going back to the whole business and entrepreneurship, um, you must get to work with all kinds of different people with the businesses that you've worked with invested in. What are some of the big mistakes that entrepreneurs make when they get started and they kind of kick off their business careers?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that's a fully loaded question and it's very general. Um, It's a big, big question, which opens up a huge can of worms, but I'll I'll try to keep it as simple as possible. You know, I I think first off a lot of, I would say first time entrepreneurs, uh, when they come into the, the whatever respective space that they're, they're, they're kind of targeting, they often struggle to find product to market fit. I've seen it so often, right? They, they kind of jump in and they get really excited and they really don't know or have a clue of what customer they're chasing, what demographic or population they're trying to penetrate, and they don't do enough research and due diligence, you know, in their respective market to to make a really strong assumption in terms of what they're trying to build. And so, having said that, you know, you got to do the research, um, you got to do your due diligence, and whether it means focus groups or product testing or prototyping, that data again, I go back to data. I'm a big data head the data will tell you, you know, whether you're doing something right or wrong or whether you're heading in the right direction or not. But uh, more often than not, I see, you know, first time entrepreneurs, especially um, making the wrong assumptions and that's okay. You, you know, but you got to fail, you got to fail fast, get back up and iterate to the point where you can find product market fit. Second to that, I see that there's, you know, entrepreneurs out there, founders that scale too quickly, right? Um, A mistake I've even made in my earlier days in my twenties with one of my companies and it's, you're so excited, again, and you know you want to generate revenue, and you want to do a land grab, and you, you want to get to the quadruple digits. But the, at the end of the day, you need to make sure you set the right foundation, and you're after you're going after the right customer, and you're truly providing a valuable, authentic, and genuine product or service while you're hypothetically building a quality brand. So I think just know the fact that you need to find product-to-market fit. Uh, and then secondly, if in fact you do, you have to time... You know when it's actually appropriate to scale, because that more often than not, outside of startups, typically running out of money and, and them failing, it's it's really scaling too fast, and and you run into other bigger problems, right? You're kind of amplifying. Internal issues uh, of the company from a scalability perspective.
0: One of the key parts of business are the people we hire and the teams and the people around us that help us bring our vision to life. What are some of the sort of top things that we should be looking out for when it comes to hiring people? Because it, it can be a bit of a minefield, and uh, businesses can lose a lot of money very quickly hiring the wrong kinds of people. Have you got any tips or advice on the kinds of things that we should be looking out for, and the kinds of things that we really need to make sure? Our, in in the bag before we get anyone in the door.
1: Sure, that's a great question. I think you need to, when, especially when you when it comes to building out your founding team, you need to find people, whether it's organically through your network. Um, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. I actually have a book coming out soon that leverages LinkedIn as a as a kind of a networking tool. Um, but nevertheless, you know, whether it's organic or it's through your network, you know, online leveraging social media, you know, you need to find individuals, partners, found co-founders that are aligned with your values and get the big picture um, and are that are willing to execute and truly provide value. Right. So having said that, that's kind of my moral compass, my, you know, that I use um, when I build my companies, right. When I find my CEOs, when I find my, you know, VPs of operations, my COOs, my CTOs, what have you, um, you just need to make sure you have the right fit and not be impulsive, right. Take the time to find the right person. And so in the meantime, as you know, one does in a startup, you need to wear multiple hats until you find, you know, the right fit and the right hire and therefore the right team member, potentially co-founder. So it's all about the team. You can start off not having product to market fit, stumbling out of the gates. That's okay. But if you find the right co founders, the right partners, you'll eventually hypothetically have a high probability of iterating to that right product or service just in time so that, you know, you can you can scale it uh, and, and make the business successful
0: and when it comes to sort of success, part of that success can often be investment. Um, you've been heavily involved in the investment world. a lot of entrepreneurs who you know got a great team, got a great product, but they don't know how to talk to investors they don 't know the language and all the terminology and it's a, it's a minefield it 's a highly highly complex world. There's so many different stages and there's different levels of investment. What's the best way to sort of step into that world so that you can try to understand where you should be going and how you should be approaching investors and, and attracting them to, to help fund your business and help help it grow?
1: So first off, you know, it's like, say, practice uh, makes perfect, right? And kind of starts, even if you're a beginner, you know, everyone has an initial kind of organic network, right? And, and you're, you're bound to know uh, an investor or a mentor or a potential advisor. So reach out to your network, go to workshops. Uh, there's a bunch of, you know, investor one-on-one networking workshops all over the world, go to startup events, go to local university events, network, right? And find mentors, find advisors, find angel investors. I mean, you can even go to angel, you know, angellist.org and you can go ahead and check, you know, that platform out, or you can go to, you know, platforms like even Republic where you'll find accredited investors and you can network through those platforms as well. So, and even LinkedIn for that matter. So, there's just so many areas of opportunity where you can network, you can find, you know, mentors, uh, I can't stress that enough, that can teach you and show you the ropes and, and kind of learn, learn firsthand, right, through experience and their experiences, not just read it through a book. Although books are great, um, they're not necessarily, you know, hands-on ex- you know, experience, right, that you can learn from directly. But it's, it's all about expanding your network. They always say your network, you know, your net worth is your network, and it's true. Um, I, can, I can definitely attest to that. But, um, you know, you, you got to jump in. And, you know, I think it starts with, you know, coming up with the right idea. You know, hopefully you're passionate about it. Sitting down, just having conversations, you know, dialogue, brainstorming with that respective party, whoever it is, maybe a mentor, advisor, or investor. And you go through that with that process enough times, you will eventually land on something. So it's, it's a process. It's, it's more about the journey than the destination, I always say. And before I even started my first real tech startup, I mean, I was already a kind of lemonade stand entrepreneur when I was three, four years old. So it was kind of in my bloodline before entrepreneurship even became cool. It's, it's, you got to make sure it's something you want. It's a long, rocky road. You know, there's a lot of failure points. And so you got to have the endurance and the wherewithal and the perseverance to, to get through it. But if it's authentically for you, um, you'll have a lot of high highs and a lot of low lows, but trust me, the high highs, when you have them, they're certainly worth it.
0: Speaking of high highs, there's some vegan companies entering the stock market, namely uh, Beyond Meat. Uh, it's done quite well. Obviously, it's been up, very up and down, but we're really excited to see potentially companies like Just saying that they might be joining an IPO if their sales stay high. Do you see more kind of vegan brands jumping into the stock market anytime soon?
1: 100%. Um, I think like you just named it, right? You know, you got the Beyond Meat, you have just, uh, you know, there, there's quite a few companies that are looking to IPO and, and capitalize their hard work, um, and that's fair, right? They they, they want to scale and continue to grow their their business lines and the brand. Um, but you will see, like you said, you know, you spoke to the numbers earlier about this kind of staggering, explosive growth um, in the specifically in the plant-based space. The time is now, and the, the, the macro and the micro trends um, and the data show it, right? The market's ready for it, and they're they're consuming, and it. it's. Going to be growing uh, substantially, right, exponentially in, in some ways. So, I think you're going to see a lot of more of what you're already seeing. Um, I'm excited for the future, and just as long as the, the products, you know, uh, maintain a certain level of integrity and they're being honest with their customers and they're truly serving, you know, valuable, healthy products and services to the to the market. Um, I think this space deserves to grow.
0: Yeah, it really does. And I think there's so much potential. Um, there is obviously always the danger of, as some people might say, selling our souls to the, souls to the devil or <laughs> well, the devils. Um, you know, certain brands like Oatly have sold 10% of their business to multinational uh, financial firms to help them scale, but have come under heavy criticism for the ethical credentials of the companies that they've taken the money from. How do we? continue to grow our businesses and scale our businesses without having to take money from big corporates and multinationals without losing our ethical and credible uh, essence. Because, you know, there are points where sometimes we do have to sort of deal with the devil to be able to get to where we want to go and hopefully buy our share back from the devil and send him home. Um, (laughs) So as entrepreneurs and as kind of ethical people, we're in this dilemma of wanting to change the world and make the world a better place. But we're stuck Uh, between a rock and a hard place trying to make the world a better place but still having to work with this flawed system that often rewards greed and um, you know as you said things on the down people short betting on the shorting of companies you know uh, shorting on the on the downward spiral of companies and you know there seems to be a lot of money in things going badly for some some people so how do we yeah how do we keep our ethical credentials
1: yeah i mean the the keyword devil kind of ringed uh you know uh in my mind as you said it i i, I think you know every company has a choice right and um you know there's some companies that are just chasing insane growth and you know that's their choice but i i don't believe that you ha- you know the companies have to do a deal with the devil as you say You don't have to grow at a thousand X and be the next Uber, for instance, right? Or the next Airbnb. Um, You have a choice. You can can have gradual, thoughtful growth and you can take, there's plenty of money out there and and you can take what you need. And and if it's not enough, well, then you grow at the rate that you do, but you do it ethically and and, and, and money that aligns with the values of the company. And so I I know there's companies like Coca-Cola and Pepsi and you know the kind of these bigger organizations that have deep pockets and they want to get into the next big thing and whether they can really honestly care if it's healthy or not, they just they want to they want to be into the next kind of paradigm shift in terms of the market share, right? Whatever that might be. And in this case, it's plant based. So I don't believe that you know a lot of these companies, these startups are forced to take uh, you know the money or do it, you know the deal, a deal with the devil and AKA these big corporations. I think they it's okay to grow at 5X or 10X, and, and maybe at the right time, they will find the right investor institution or VC or corporate entity that will support their mission or, or cause or their vision, right? And so um, it's all it all comes down to a decision. You don't need to do a deal with the devil, as you say. So just imagine you're at a dinner party or maybe even a tailgate. Better yet, we're at a local bar with some friends having some champagne. Would anyone care for a glass? Yes, please. Yes, sure. <laughs> Yeah, wow, I thought you were joking. Here, yeah. Thank you, Laurie. Here you go. Thank oh, you. Right. Damon doesn't yes. like champagne, so I'll take his. He <laughs> does? There you go. Thank it's
0: you. Damon's favorite drink.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Senor. Thank you. Charles, what should we toast to? Uh, pitching to the sharks. <laughs> <laughs> to you, Charles. Thank you. Sometimes it ends badly, though. <laughs> so you know how it goes. Eat some food. You have some drinks. Before you know it. The night's over and it's time to go home. And the most important question is, are you safe to drive? And who would want to carry one of these bulky old breathalyzers around? So that's why I created Breathometer.
0: You were featured on an awesome show, uh, The Shark Tank. Uh, for, les- for listeners who, didn't, uh, know, who don't know about it and haven't seen it, can you explain what the show was about? And uh, did you get eaten alive by the sharks?
1: That's a good question. I get asked that a lot. So, no, I did not. I actually did the polar opposite. I had quite a bit of a success. In fact, I made history on the show. But yeah, in terms of what the show is, first and foremost, it's they kind of refer to it as the voice or the American Idol uh, for entrepreneurs. So you basically go on to the show as an entrepreneur or founder, and you get the opportunity to pitch to five celebrity investors uh, about your idea, your product or service. And they have the choice at the end of the show to invest in, in you and your company or not um, at a particular valuation and for a certain level of you know amount of funds. It started initially with Dragon's Den, and then Mark Burnett and Clay Newbill basically evolved it into Shark Tank. And now it's worldwide. It's a phenomenon. It's won so many Emmys. Um, it's an Emmy award-winning television show. On average, I think it's somewhere around 10 million viewers in the US alone. Consistently, it's running into now its 13th-plus season. And it's very educational, heavy demographic in terms of kids and it being educational and parents love it. And, but for myself, I mean, most people know me, I, you know, for inventing the smartphone breathalyzer. And quite frankly, when I went on there, they, they sought me out. Um, there was Clay Newbill and there's Mark Burnett, but they asked me to go on the show. I, I went on a casting call and they gave me a secret password, Constantinople. Um, they held up the line. I was the first to shoot at the casting call that day. And the very next day they called me after they filmed, um, they asked me to come back actually to be on set on the show. And, I was looking at the time, potentially, you know, some free marketing and maybe to connect with Mark Cuban and, uh, cause he's a tech, you know, entrepreneur and, and, and investor. Having said that, I'd gone there and lo and behold, uh, you know, I ended up getting all five celebrity investors to invest in my company for the first time in the history of the show. Um, it was a very so proud a million, moment.
0: a million dollars, which is brilliant.
1: Yeah. A million dollars. Um, uh, so yeah, I closed that and on and off set and, uh, it was probably been one of the biggest moments in my in, in my entire career. So very fortunate, very grateful.
0: It's amazing, and you know how much of like speaking to investors is the presentation because I think you know investors are people just like anybody else, and when we talk to them and we share our ideas, you know Shark Tank, and I think we have something here called the Dragon's Den. If any of our UK listeners are listening, and very similar. A lot of people go on that show and they're absolutely terrified and the, and the impression they leave isn't positive. I mean, how much preparation and practice do we need to be doing if we really want to get those investments?
1: You need to be very, very prepared. And I feel that the majority of entrepreneurs, outside of potentially having a bad product or service or a very not well thought out product or service, they just go on not being prepared. Um, and so you need to know your numbers. Again, you need to know if you have product to market fit. Um, it would help if you had some level of validation, you know, and some traction, knowing about the investors, doing your homework, doing your due diligence, knowing where and how to connect with each and every single investor. You just need to know your shit. Apologies for the for the, for the language, but that's just really what it is. Know, know, your, know your stuff and go in there as prepared as you can, just like if you were taking a final exam for, for, you know, at university, right? And so that's what I've always done. And once you do it enough times, you know, probably close to a thousand board meetings and. And just general business meetings, investor meetings, you get the hang of it, right? You, you know, you stay sharp, focused, and like razor blade, but uh, okay. know your stuff.
0: Fail to prepare, prepare to fail. <laughs> That's my favorite expression. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah we, have to, we have to stand up in front of these people and share our vision. And we have to take our ideas and our thoughts and our passions and unpack them, turn them into words. Throw them across the air and sort of, you know, hope that when the person on the other end rebuilds them and in their minds, they feel that same emotion. And I always say to people come to me with ideas because I get people throwing stuff at me daily, saying, "What do you think of this business, this vegan business, this vegan product?" I said, "You know, if the consumer's not going to feel something, if your packaging doesn't stand out or your brand isn't unique enough, it, you know, people be bored by it. There's so much competition, there's so much uh, opposition when it comes to business and, and ideas. You have to stand out, and be bold, and and as you said, be rehearsed, like." If you want to talk to your consumer or talk to your customer via social media, it needs to be polished it needs to be well thought out because if it isn't you 're just just a little blip in the in this huge sea of noise on social media because that 's the way you know most businesses now are reaching their customers so I think it's really good advice to to to, to focus on what you really know and really refine it and hone it. Going back to your your product, uh, I'm a huge gadget geek. I love wearables and gadgets and any kind of technology obsessed with Star Trek and sci-fi. What are some of the sort of things that you learned about creating something like that? Because it's back in 2017, right? So it's 2017?
1: It's actually uh, 2014.
0: Yeah, so a few years ago. So things have rapidly changed. Um, you know, what are some of the things you've learned and what are some of the new things coming out Um, with regards to wearables and these kind of devices, these gadgets?
1: Yeah, so a lot of people know, but, you know, the days of, like, the connected devices, basically when, like, GoPro and and Fitbit were really hot and just entering the market, um, it took a lot of money to manufacture and prototype those type of devices or products. I learned that firsthand. You you would have to raise hundreds of millions of dollars, right, to really scale the company out like that. But we're moving uh, towards what's kind of referred to as an extended manufacturer model, right? What that means is finding a partner, um, you know externalizing a lot of the resources, whether it's the mechanical engineers, embedded systems engineers, the electrical kind of resources, to basically you know a third entity, uh, a third party, essentially an you know, additional constituent. So they kind of take the brunt of the cost. and so you can literally bring a product to market with a team of five to ten people, uh, mainly engineers and designers and what have you whereby you couldn't have done that in the past. It's similar to servers, right? Back in the day, you know, uh, over a decade and a half ago, plus, you know, to to have a server, it cost maybe a couple hundred thousand, but now it's pennies on the dollar through Amazon doing, you know, through their AWS server service, right? So times have changed and we can implement, prototype and build devices essentially for, for pennies, quite frankly, compared to what it used to cost. And you can scale it fairly quickly. So that's the beautiful thing about it. But nevertheless, you know, the, the market is still catching up. It's still trying to find its value. People refer to it as digital health, connected devices, You know the quantified self, I'm sure you've heard of. And so do you really derive value um, from your Fitbit, from your Apple smartwatch? Um, I'm a big fan of the Aura Ring. Um, it helps me optimize my sleep um, and makes me kind of become fanatic about it. But biohacking, what have you, all these tools are, are essentially, they can be powerful, but the truth be told, you know, there, there was a study, I believe, that came out around Fitbit, and there's a lot of consumers out there that you know, think they can do their 10,000 steps, but at the end of the day, they say, hey, you know what? I, I, I deserve an ice cream, right? And they ruin the fact of why they did that exercise in the first place, and that's the average consumer. So the question really is, is, is Quantify itself, are these digital connected devices really providing real, real valuable data to you know, affect and encourage behavioral change. I think the jury's still out. I'm a big, I'm still, again, an optimist, but I'm also a realist at the same time. And so I think we still need to see that realization we haven't seen in the market yet. I think I'm starting to see some kind of markers, you know, or the precipice of potentially some some certain decent amount of or significant adoption, but I I think it's still going to take some time there's more work to be done.
0: You did touch on the point of a sort of honesty and kind of transparency with the food, you know, talking about like burgers and these products about how, you know, how good or bad they are for our bodies. If you go on Kickstarter or Crowdfunder, the world is awash with these new gadgets and gizmos promising all kinds of things to help us track and monitor. And as you said, pots and pots of data offering people the opportunity to do all kinds of things with their bodies and monitor this and monitor that. Have you noticed that there's a lot of products that potentially are not what they say they are? Because I have personally seen a lot of things on the likes of Kickstarter. The one that really stands out is this gadget where it alleged that you could breathe underwater and you could go underwater with this thing and it had this magical device that could allow you to breathe underwater and it had a very compelling Kickstarter video and they raised millions of pounds. I completely forgot the name of it, but It seems to be in this sort of tech, uh, gadget, wearable world. Perhaps I don't want to say like dishonesty, but it can. It often, sometimes feels like it. There's a lot of products promising the moon, but they don't deliver at all. In some cases, like this device, downright lie about it. But yet, raise millions and millions and millions and millions. A hundred
1: percent. I think you hit the nail on the head. Right. So I, you know, for reference, I, you know, I pioneered, helped pioneer the crowdfunding space. I was one of the first to, to do a breathometer, the alcohol smartphone breathalyzer crowdfunding campaign on on Indiegogo, and, and let alone projects on Kickstarter. So having said that, I was there in the early days. And what I've seen since is this kind of quote unquote, consumer fatigue, right? Consumers like yourself that are kind of weary, they're really distrusting of like the next crowdfunding campaign. And does this product really work? And does it do what it says it does? And are these claims substantiated? And, and you're right, there's a lot of Inferior product out there, um, false claims, just products that are kind of almost near vaporware. So you got to be careful. Um, I would do your do, do, do your due diligence. See who the team is comprised of. You know who the investors are, the advisors, and so forth and so on. And, and, and where along on the on the on the product life cycle you know, is the product or service right? And, you know, is it ten months away? Is it two years away? Is it really a month away? But you're right. There's a lot of me too product out there, right? It's like they, they, they do this feature creep thing where they add one or two features and it's like oh it's completely innovative and it's phenomenal and you know and and, and you should get it right so having said that just be very careful uh, with what you really buy into do your homework do your research it's easy to kind of get excited and excitable about you know some of these new gadgets that are coming coming out and, and like i said it's it's easy to make them these days if you know what you're doing and if you have the resources network and wherewithal but do your homework regardless no matter what the product is you know or or the service is and whether it's plant based or whether it's a tech gadget do your homework make sure you're an educated consumer um, before you commit and you know you drink the kool-aid and, and you you know <laughs>
0: good advice um you've also invested in the vegan food tech scene and vegan restaurants and and ve- not being restaurants but bean food products like by bowl tell us a little bit about these tell like, give us a little bit more detail as to what they are and how you got involved with them and our, what are the some of the exciting things coming up in this in this part of what you're doing and how is it going amidst the sort of global pandemic that we're all gripped by Sure. Uh, for Vitable, um, actually, I founded it
1: uh, back in November of 2019, pre-COVID. Um, it came again out of the need of you know making healthier choices, having more accessible food, specifically plant-based superfood near me, and therefore my son as well. So, having said that, um, you know it didn't exist in the space, so I you know I decided to build the team and, and and capitalize it and, and get it out to the market. And now we are. We're in San Francisco now, LA, and soon to be New York. Across the nation and, and ultimately internationally at one point but it's going great i think to the point of covid um covid hit um for most uh b or restaurants um it was obviously it's been a terrible time unfortunately and i my heart goes out to them uh, a lot of restaurants have closed up um, i think almost 80 to 80 plus percent of the you know economy relies on these small to medium sized businesses in the united states specifically let alone globally uh, and a lot of them are out of business or they're barely hanging on a shoestring through these, these, these loans, right, uh, from the government. But it's sad to see. But for, for, for Vitable um, as a brand, it's actually only acted as a catalyst because people are not only more in tune with their health and wanting to strengthen their immunity. I think these, these trying times have encouraged people to really look at their health and ask themselves, are they doing the best job to stay healthy? and keep their immune systems up to the best of their ability so that if in fact they did get COVID, they could fight it off, right? And not risk the chance of of something worse happening. With so many different choices in the world,
0: where to work, where to live, what to eat. What to eat should be a no brainer. All natural plant-based food is the best choice you can make
1: for your mind and body. Choosing Vitable accomplishes both. With one bullet at a time, we're healing our bodies
0: and the earth for a sustainable future for all of us to enjoy.
1: So it's only helped us. Our model is very uh, agnostic and, and I would say Tuned, attuned to what's going on right now. It's a delivery platform. Press a button and you you know, you know can get as many as one to two uh, shipments or deliveries per week. And it's fresh. It's 100% plant-based with superfoods, proprietary supply chain from Asia, from South America and Europe. Superfoods you probably haven't heard of before. So not in the, found in the typical bowl um, or salad uh, company near you. And they're at accessible prices. The bowls start at $12.99 on the retail consumer side. And uh, we're looking to focus on distributing into hospitals, senior homes, universities, schools, and eventually even prisons for that matter. state of California is requiring uh, prisons, hospitals, senior homes to ha- provide a plant-based meal program actually. And so again, going back to the timing, it's here, it's now. The COVID pandemic I feel has only accelerated the overall kind of pace and growth of, of the business. But I'm, I'm pretty happy, um, you know, we're growing quickly um, and it's really a team effort, the team is strong. We have Dominique Rennes, uh, the first three-star Michelin female chef in the United States.
0: plant best is the future. First of all,
1: what inspired me first is people and people that believe in great values, humanity, and, and, and care about the planet and also our health. Vitable, this delicious food, but food that is good for you. And everything is eco friendly. And I think it's what Vitable is representing. And I think we need that. She's kind of the Michael Jordan of our space. We have Sarah Brandow, a world renowned plant based nutritionist based here in LA. You know, we we have a dream team. We have really strong partnerships and co founders. And um, we're off to the races. And we've just started securing uh, big contracts uh, with some large healthcare organizations. So can't complain pretty ecstatic about the progress so far. We've developed a lot of traction. So few snacks on the market actually contain truly pure ingredients. The idea with bite was to create something that is completely different from everything else on the market. So I created Probiotic Labs, aka Vitable, to create superfood meals as well as beverages with a nutrition density and health focus first. Vitabol is a company that is conscious about the environment. Everything is is done with a sense of being eco-friendly.
0: Food is medicine, literally. And so each ingredient has a purpose. With the Vitabites, the ingredients that you're actually ingesting is really, really good for you and really, really healthy. This small bite is basically packed with a lot of nutrients.
1: It's such a small package, and it tastes really good. Our ingredients with the cookie dough vanilla Vitabite are very simple. Vanilla,
0: vegan protein powder, Sunflower butter, and we use monk fruit to sweeten. So we've got our monk fruit chocolate chips, and also monk fruit powder as well.
1: So bowl is pretty unique and, and, and different amongst anything in the current market. Meaning that what I believe Vitabl is pioneering is essentially functional food. And so every one of our bowls serves a certain purpose, certain function. So we have the Cali Bowl, which is a mood booster. We have the Mediterranean bowl, which is for probiotics, right, for your gut health. And so, you know, we use special superfood ingredients like jackfruit, which a lot of people don't know, but depending on the, the, the actual culinary technique and ours kind of take a Michelin approach, you know, being the fact that we have Dominique Kren on our team, which allows us to kind of create a pulled pork or a grilled chicken effect to the food. But at the end of the day, jackfruit is, you know, a superfood and it's extremely healthy for you, great for your digestive system. Uh, it comprises the majority of the nutrition, given uh, that a human body needs for a given day. So it's, it's the way we're really kind of tackling it is where we take a nutrition focus first, um, integrating superfoods that, again, are not typically commonly found in, in most bowls or salads these days. And from there, you know, we have Dominique Crenn herself, you know, chef, essentially, to sprinkle that Michelin touch. So in terms of flavor profile, presentation, consistency, texture. All those things are considered because so often a lot of people I feel are turned off by plant-based meals is because it doesn't taste very good. It tastes like shit. But if you can hit those markers, those metrics, and it's you know price, it's cost accessible, right? It's accessible, you know, economic wise, um, and, and it, it tastes great. It looks great, and if you know, you know, it feels great, and you get all the nutritional benefits from it, why wouldn't you, right? It's some a product you essentially need. It's not something you just want. And so you know, we can make it as easy as pushing a button. And specifically also, you know, the market we're going after is if, you have, if you're, you have a health condition like diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, uh, maybe you went through cancer, uh, you know, we, we have a particular meal plan that's personalized and customized just for you. So functional food is what we're pioneering. And I'm pretty ecstatic about this opportunity, this venture, because we're literally curing the world, healing the world through one, one, one meal, one bowl at a time.
0: Sounds delicious. Can't wait to try try it one day. It's
1: coming to the UK soon, so
0: <laughs> oh good. Well, I'll be your first customer. Sounds amazing. Looks amazing as well. So if you if you are listening and you want to learn a bit about it, um, where can we check out your Vitable dishes?
1: Yeah, just go to www. Uh, vita meaning vitamins, but Vita and bowl.com. and then our handle is the same on Instagram and Facebook at Vitable. Um, we also have a press juice line called Vita juice. And then now Vita bites, which are these kind of, uh, micro balls filled with nutrition. Um, and all, again, all superfoods like monk fruit, no artificial sugars, no preservatives, super healthy for you. Something you can even feed your kid or your grandparents or, you know, your spouse. So very healthy, very nutritious. And so we're optimizing the focus on nutrition first. We, uh, we're focused on, on healing, you know, people's, uh, people's health conditions, you know, one person at a time.
0: Sounds like an amazing product. And I'm looking forward to trying some of those dishes. And it's a nice uh, bridge to to talk about the next point, which is is about women and women in business. Um, we're working with com, which is an amazing event, which is coming soon, uh, not announced just yet, but it will be obviously by the time this podcast is out. Um, and it's an exciting initiative to help raise more women into positions of influence in the business world, particularly the plant-based ethical vegan spaces, But um, some of the the stats are pretty shocking when it comes to women in business. Less than 3% of capital goes to female founders and less than 1% to women of color. There was actually some interesting news came out recently that said 10 venture capitalist firms on Wednesday are going to announce finding diversity riders in, in their term sheets submitted to startups, requiring the best efforts to be made to bring unrepresented investors into deals. What are your thoughts on on where we're at as a business world when it comes to you know representation of women?
1: I think you hit the nail on the head with some of the data, the data points that you just provided, right? We're, as a society, we're behind. Racially speaking, uh, gender speaking, you know, we're behind, you know, and so we've just have started going through this wave of Black Lives Matter. And, you know, I think in terms of female, uh, you know, lack of support in the market and, and now leading to a kind of female empowerment, I'm all about it. I was pretty much raised by a single mother. And I've seen the struggles firsthand. But, um, you know, as, as an employer, as an investor, you know, VC, I, I, every chance I get to empower, you know, females, especially females in leadership and In respective, you know, industries and and positions of expertise, I'm all about it. You know, I, I, for instance, Sarah Brandow is a co-founder and and our chief nutritionist of Vitable. You know, I'm I'm so supportive of her. And when I first met her, I just knew she's you know a star in the making. And so, you know, this is her first real venture and as a co-founder. And you know, she, I think she's a bright, shiny star. And there's a lot of uh, you know uh, potential from her and. I think she's got a long career ahead of her and I think, you know, we're very fortunate to have her, but I've done personally everything I can to kind of empower her as a female co-founder and I'm all about it. I think there's a lot more progress, a lot more work to be done, but we're, we're heading in the right direction.
0: Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a real challenge. I think, you know, there's a stat, another stat where I read that most females who founded companies struggle to grow past the $10 million revenue kind of bracket without that kind of support network. Um, and then nearly half of the founders were actually mothers as well. Um, what kind of practical things do you think we could be doing, particularly as men as well? What can we be doing to support women more in business on a day-to-day basis?
1: Personally, I'm I'm doing it already, right? I, I, I make the the right intros. For introductions, I try to mentor, provide advice, guidance. Um, try to shape their their you know their experience and, and try to create as much positivity and create as much value as possible. So it's really supporting and getting behind the the key individuals. Um, in this case, you know it's Sarah especially. Um, and she creates and provides so much value to the company um, and and therefore to society. You know from a public nutritionist perspective you know supporting them any way which which way you know you know how and how and then you know leveraging the the connections relationships and, and and system or network that you have in place so i'm all about female empowerment so
0: absolutely yeah. there's so many incredibly talented women out there but many of them don't have the courage to to step uh, you know step into the light really and i think as men we have a duty to you know not kind of push them into the light, but sort of maybe step out of the light a little bit and and allow them some space in. Because I think, you know, we live in a society where women are very conditioned to to step aside and uh, and not sort of allow their, their voices to be heard. So one of the most important things that we often neglect as business people, as entrepreneurs, is self-care, is caring about ourselves and eating right and, and exercising and not staying up all night, working till 3, 4 a.m., When, you know, when juggling so many things and so many business opportunities and probably hundreds of emails and calls and meetings, you know, how do you as a person avoid burning out and being completely exhausted at the end of every day? I, quite frankly,
1: what you just mentioned, I was there um, a good five, six years ago, you know, burning the, you know, the wick, the candle wick on both ends. And, um, you know, in Silicon Valley, especially the culture is, hey, if you did an all-nighter and stay at the office, slept on the couch, you know, that's the cool thing to do, right? But um, there's been thought leaders, like I'm a big fan and, and I know uh, Ariana Huffington personally, um, she's a big fanatic on sleep if you haven't read her book. But, you know, sleeping and taking care of your body and self-care is in, right? It's cool. It's a good thing to do. And that, I think culturally that's where we're getting to. So, you know, I, I'm, again, Thor Ring is something I swear by. I'm I a fanatic about my sleep, getting my deep recovery, um, biohacking, intermittent fasting, Um, I go to the gym religiously, I make sure that I have low body fat, not because of looks or aesthetics, but more so that, you know, it's a sign uh, that's correlated typically to just good health, right? You don't want to be obese. um, And and I want to keep my body tuned up. I want to prevent and, you know, and push off diabetes for as long as I can, and hopefully never, never ultimately have it. Um, But at the same time, I don't want plaque building up in my arteries either, right? That potentially could lead to heart disease a stroke or even a heart attack. Right. So, you know, taking care of yourself is, is, is in, you know, it's, it's, it's just extremely important and wearing yourself out, burning yourself out is, is definitely not good. And, um, I've lived that life and I was not happy regardless of how, how much success or whatever success I did have at the time. I stress and stress, you know, so much drink your water, meditate, do some yoga, you know, uh, write in your gratitude journal every morning if you can, right? You know, I think mental health, a lot of it is perspective. At the same time, just, you know, make sure you take care of yourself, eat the right types of food, make, look at food as medicine. That's why at Vitable, we, we our tagline is food is medicine. Um, you know, every morsel of food that you put in your body, it's, it can either be nourishing or it could be damaging. Just really understand that you need to make the changes today and be conscientious of that. And also then our environment, so that 10, 20 years from now, you're not on your hospital bed, and you know you're you're thinking, "What if?" Or you, you know, you have a amount of regrets, right?
0: Pay now or yeah. pay later, <laughs> That's right? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Before I let you go, I would like to ask my guest this one final question: uh, If you were stranded on a desert island and it was just you and a pig, hopefully by then you'll be fully plant-based and vegan, so you won't eat the pig. But <laughs> if I could give you one vegan dish, and one book, and one music album, what would you take with you?
1: Uh, essentially uh, a book on surviving <laughs> the wilderness <laughs> because obviously it's hyper critical. One of my favorite books is, is, is uh, flow state. And, and so I'm all about being in flow and, and, and resonating at a very optimal or high frequency. I have a long list. It really depends on the, on the function, but I'm thinking about practicality because I'm practical, you know, pra- I'm very extremely practical, but I would probably would want a survivor Island survivor guide <laughs> or mm-hmm. book
0: Knowing, knowing you as a knowing you as a tech geek, you'd probably take a Kindle with a solar powered charger.
1: <laughs> Something that can help me uh, essentially produce energy, and then I'd find other ways to kind of build a system around that, you know, on the island, right?
0: So, yeah. And what what would be your your music album and your dish of choice?
1: Uh yeah. In terms of music choice, it's a tough one. Um, I, I have lots of variation in terms of preference or, or what I like, uh, like everything from country to to jazz, Coltrane, right to Rascal Flatts for country, and um, like my Prince, and I have a long list. Um, but you know, I, I was a big, uh, funny as it is, I was a big classical opera guy back uh, in college, and so Andrea Bocelli, Josh Groban, you know that type of music is is a big fan favorite for me. But also just modern day house, um, big fan of Rufus de Soul, Zoo Blumquist, Zoo, uh, and also you know Bob Moses. Um, so. Uh, but I'm a practical person. So, you know, I'd probably think if I was trying to survive, uh, you know, I'd want like some meditation music, some binaural beats to calm myself because if I had high stress loads, I would try to manage that and stay calm. But anyway, it would be one of those top choices. Um, there, there's just far too many. It's choose one. So
0: Amazing. And what would be your your dish that you would consume in the island for the rest of your days? Man, you're asking tough questions here.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, choice paralysis. But I would go with probably uh, jackfruit. Again, it's a superfood. It's plant-based, and uh, you know it comprises a majority of the nutrition for a human body. You know needed for one given day. So probably jackfruit.
0: Amazing, brilliant. Well, Mr. Charles Michael Yim, thank you so much for joining us on the PBN podcast. Uh, I learned a lot. You're a very insightful man, and I, I look forward to talking to you again soon about all your endeavors. Uh, it was uh, really great to chat. Fantastic. Thank you for having me, and uh, likewise, it was uh,
1: it was an interesting conversation.
0: Thanks for joining us, everyone. I've been your host, Robbie Lockie, and this is the PBN Podcast. We'll be back next time with more veganism, fashion, food, technology, business, and everything in between.